0: Check one, check one, two, three. Hey everybody, it's Michael Helms, also known as Michael the Sound Guy, and this is the Location Sound Podcast. You know, each episode we talk with location sound mixers, boom ops, and other industry pros about the various aspects of recording sound on location, whether it's for feature and independent films, TV commercials, interviews, any time where dialogue from actors is recorded. I started my career in the recording studios in New York City with some of the big artists back in the day, and later on projects for networks like HBO, Sci-Fi Channel, and the Cartoon Network. As time went by, I got out of the studio and began working in production sound. Whether you're a seasoned veteran or just starting out, thanks for joining us. All right, my guest today is a production sound mixer and boom op based out of New York. Please welcome Nick Doe.
1: Hey, what's good, Mike? It's great to be on the podcast this morning. How are you today?
0: All is good here. All right, Nick, uh, we always like to start off when you're working as a production sound mixer on set, what's in your audio kit? So just give us a rundown of your mixer, your recorder, preferred mics, and everything in between.
1: Yeah, so uh, my main recorder is a sound device 633, and I have four electrosonic UCR-411As on block 21, and then I also have an old school UCR-210D with an HM transmitter that's also on block 21 that I run uh, for a wireless boom. And uh, I've got a couple of boom poles. I've, I forget what the models are exactly, but I've got a I've got like three K Tech boom poles. One that's like six feet, another one that's thirteen feet, and another one that's eighteen feet. And then uh, I've got another. I can't remember if it's an ambient pole. It might be a loon pole, uh, and that's like a twenty-six foot pole, which is pretty cool. And I had that. I had that customized where the the handle the last. Part of it that I would hold, I had to customize in a certain way. So it's pretty cool boom pole. I run everything off of remote audio BDS. And I've got probably like 15 Comtex and uh, the 216 Comtex. And I've got uh, six IFBs, electrosonics IFBs. And I run those on Block 24. But Block 24 is uh, going to become illegal pretty soon. Uh, which is kind of messed up, you know. It's like uh, private corporations selling, selling radio waves to each other so that the public can't use them, uh, but whatever. <laughs> we won't get into that. I, I keep it kind of old school. My battery system, I have the, those orange very zoom batteries, and they run great. I have four of them, and uh, usually I don't go through more than two a day. Then I also have my cart. I've got, a, I've got a cart that I built from a Magliner Jr., and I've got Gator shelves on that, and uh, Sound Device CL12, and just like some racks built into it, and like a Blackmagic dual monitor, just like some random knickknacks. And I have some some YZCom Shark Fins that are wideband, because so I got some other frequencies that I play with sometimes. We're not going to get into that, but you know, sometimes you need the wideband. But yeah, yeah, I've got a, I've got a bunch of stuff got a bunch of stuff but I recently got into the union so I'm not using much of my stuff right now because I'm like have to like rebrand myself and it's basically like restarting my career it's weird because I have like eight and a half years of like freelance experience where no one really taught me anything and I didn't really I didn't work with other sound mixers very often so everything that I do I kind of taught myself. Uh, And now like coming into the union world, like fresh into the union within the last eight months uh, and like working with these seasoned professionals who've been in it for 20 years, 30 years, working with like the mixers of like big TV shows and big movies. It's it's, kind of cool. It's kind of cool, but it's like kind of restarting from the bottom, not having to fight and like haggle to get paid because the union handles all that. It's pretty cool.
0: Now, you know, for people that don't know a lot about unions, what's, like, a first day on, on the job like?
1: The first time I walked in to, like, a stage where there was, like, all this, like, wow stuff that you see. My first day on a union show was in Steiner Studios, and you have to have, like, a pass to get in through the gate. And, like, there's, like, a Teamster in a van waiting at the train stop to, like, to shuttle you over to the warehouse. It's really cool. And it's like uh, you just like roll up to these huge warehouses and like bells are ringing and the people in the art department are pushing walls on those little floor dolly things. It's like everything you ever saw out of a movie. Uh, Like it was like Roger Rabbit, but like real, you know what I'm saying? So it was it was cool. And I was I was doing a utility job for for a real a real professional, a seasoned veteran sound mixer. Uh, who has Emmys, this guy Griffin, and uh, Griffin was really cool, and I got hooked up with Griffin uh, through my girlfriend, who's uh, a union costumer in the local 764, because he worked on a TV show that she works on full-time for a little bit, and he invited me onto their set one day, and it was cool, because I kind of just like reached out to him randomly, and I was just like, hey, I would love an opportunity to just come on to set and work with you it, it would be really nice it'd be really cool and then he was like yeah we he's like I have an established team but I'll let you know if anybody needs some days off and two days later he's like hey my my utility is sick and he's going to be out for the rest of the week can you commit to three days for me I'm like all right yeah it was cool and I, I got there and I saw like the craft service and the catering it was like a truck go up to a hot truck in the morning and they're like, how do you want your omelet? I'm like, wow, this is really cool. I feel like my hard work is paying off now, you know? Like, if you put up with a lot like, coming up, I mean, you're a sound mixer, you know how it is. It's like, and I haven't even hit my 10-year mark as a professional uh, location sound mixer yet, so it's like, I'm still, like, on this like uphill battle, and I don't know really how it is for a lot of these much more established sound mixers, but it, like, It seems like a lot of these guys are working like six, seven, maybe eight months a year. And I see through social media, there's a lot of older folks who are like kind of grumpy. I don't want to be like those older folks, you know what I mean? So it's like, I don't want to, I don't want to just have this be dead end. I'm really grateful to have the job that I have and be part of Local 52 it's like uh, not a lot of people get into local fifty-two, and I was—I had—I was fortunate enough to uh, to have
0: that opportunity to. Oh, that's good. Well, what are some do's and don'ts on a union set?
1: You know, it's it's really funny because when you're on a union set, you're a representative of the international alliance. You know, you're a, you're a representative of the union, and so you got to kind of be cool. And so it's like. When you're working with professionals, it's really easy to do the to not do the don'ts because things kind of just move one, two, three. You're not like thinking about taking something. You you don't ever take anything personal. You know, Uh, I see a lot of people. And this is why I say that I don't want to be married to this because I see a lot of I see a lot of miserable ass people on these jobs who like to who like to take their misery out on younger, newer, not as seasoned people. You know what I'm saying? And uh, and you know that's never your problem. That's their problem. And so you just got to remember, like, not to take things personal. And like, especially like in the indie world for these younger sound mixers who are like battling for that 300 a day rate, you know, a lot of those producers that they're working with, the producers will not benefit them. Those sound mixers will benefit themselves by learning how people are on set and you kind of learn how to be. And, you know, if you're, if you're cool and you can just do your job and you can just, you know, get through your day with a smile, you, it's it's all good, you know. You'll get more clients, you know. Even if you don't want to smile at some people, you know, if you know there's going to be some, some paper at the end of that, or or another job at the end of that, it's it's usually cool. I mean, I barely ever get referrals from producers to other producers. All my referrals came from like directors of photographies or directors. Or like camera assistants. You know, my my referrals always came from crew. And then there were some producers. You know, I've burnt a lot of bridges too, you know, taking things personal. And that's why I say things, don't take it personal. But, you know, I've also I don't like to, to put up with BS from underachievers in those first like five, six, seven years. You deal with a lot of underachievers and you just gotta not take it personal because they're just underachievers. You got to remember that when you're working with a 50 year old producer, who's, who's trying to pay you $300 a day for a commercial or like some spec piece, or you get like some washed up actor who wants to make their passion project, but only can pay you 150 a day. It's like, nah, I mean, it's like, you know, we've all done those jobs and you don't really benefit from those people. So it's like when you go on those kinds of sets, you got to make real friendly with the other crew because that's, that's who you benefit from. It's not really, I mean, that's just my experience. Maybe other people have different experience. I just see, especially like in the indie world with that grind, that hustle coming up, there's a lot of people just trying to get over on you. (laughs) Feel free to stop me whenever, when I start ranting.
0: No, that's good. Yeah. I, I just in the last week or so I've had a couple where oh, you know, it's it's a low budget and they start off the conversation with low budget and you're like, "Oh, so you start talking numbers and you're like, "Dude, I'm sorry, man. I can't, you know, can't do it for that." That's good advice though, not taking things personally because I think we could probably all get along a lot better if we didn't if we didn't take things personally.
1: Yeah. The thing that I love about being on a union set is you're just, you're working with pros and everything is just one, two, three. And the job that I'm on right now, some days our, our sound department is like 12, 13 people and everything just kind of moves. And just like, you're in the union, you have your duties. That's what you do. And like no one can argue that against you. You know what I'm saying? It's like, this is what my contract says. It's ratified by the union. You can't do anything. And you can you have rights. You have rights. You're able to say no and not worry about losing your job. And that that that's a really big thing because production companies are corporations. You know what I'm saying? At the end of it, it's all about dollar signs and how to make the most of them. And there's always a lot of mismanagement with money.
0: I hear you. Well, uh, let's jump in a little bit and talk about some of the past projects you've worked on. I was looking at your IMDb, and you worked on the TV series *Snapped*.
1: Yeah, I did a lot of work. Did a lot of work on *Snap*. Random seasons. Uh, it was cool. Uh, that that production company they would fly me places. It wasn't the best. I would never get a gear rental because they always they always ship their company gear. But like they would like fly me out, and I would get like decent per diem and like. Whatever. I'd get, to, I'd get to get out of the city for like a week at a time with them. I'm not going to run around with a bag with six 411s and a 664 in it for 450 a day because I'm not getting a gear rental rate. So I do I do the sit down interviews because that's literally you just set up a 633, put a boom on a hook. But I refuse to do I, I did two days. I did two days on a reenactment, and they, and they they worked us. And for the amount of work that we had to do, the, the pay was just not worth it. So I just do the sit-down
0: interviews. Now, when you're miking up, wiring up talent, uh, what kind of expendables do you like to use?
1: I like to make a sandwich, personally, or I use an RM11. I use the tan waterproof tape, and I put a layer of that over the moleskin to give it the skin feel so that you don't even get brushed from the moleskin and then i double that up and i put that over the microphone the part that the microphone is that it's taped to i keep the microphone head just below the top of the moleskin with the transparent tape on it to uh, give it a nice smooth feel uh, so you don't have to worry about it brushing but yeah i like to do the sandwich usually I try to stay away from using vampire clips and stuff because some people don't like those and sometimes you prick someone. And like, you know, sometimes the show that I work on, I work on a fashion TV show. And so like our town wears like $15,000 blouses and stuff, it's ridiculous. So it's like, you can't really be popping vampire clips into like Versace or Gucci. Yes. things things I've never even heard of before. So, but yeah, the sandwich is usually cool.
0: Any other expendables you like?
1: Joe's Sticky. Joe, you can't really go wrong with Joe's Sticky. Uh, and then sometimes I use a hush lab and, a, and like a, a safety pin, depending on what they're wearing. Um, yeah, it, it, it all depends. And then I have, I got my tape. So if I have to tape cables down, I have like uh, the waterproof the medical tape.
0: Okay. Now, when you're, uh, you're on set and you're using your cart, you've got a little video monitor there. How do you bring signal there? Are you just bringing an SDI cable? Or are you going wireless or what? Uh,
1: I go with an SDI cable. So if, if you're lucky, though, I forget what the position of the person is called, but were, there will be like the, I guess it would be the playback person. Everybody plugs right into it. So like ideally that would be good. But like I'll bring hundreds and hundreds of SDI cable with me just in just in case, because sometimes when you go out on location and you haven't been out on a tech scout, you kind of just got to prepare for the worst. And that kind of happened back in November on the movie that I was on that uh, that organized against the production and got the union involved. Yeah, that, that, that stuff was crazy just because of the weather. Uh, the weather also sometimes you have to be up in multiple tents and you have to have S D I cables running and just I don't I don't use my cart enough yet to like justify the means of buying a, a bolt, like a Teradek bolt, to just tap in. So it's just I'm not I'm not there yet in my career. I'm sure someday I will. But now being in the union it's really just doing like day playing as a boom operator and getting what I can as a utility. Because that, that's kind of just how it is right now. So I'm just working my way back up.
0: You also worked on Hip Hop Evolution. So uh, how was that show different than Snapped?
1: Hip Hop Evolution is cool because I met all the hip hop artists that I was jamming to back in the 90s. <laughs> when it came to the, to the setup, the setup was no different. 633, plug in a boom, put the boom on a stand. Sit back, except I didn't read books. I would listen because I'm like, I'm like listening to Rizza or, or someone or DJ Kid Capri. I'm just like, we're in Kid Capri's house. We're like hanging out in his basement in his studio. And like, I'm seeing these records. I'm seeing these Biggie records. I'm seeing these Buster records. I'm seeing these DMC records. Like I'm like, I'm like, wow, this is DJ Kid Capri. It's like, people don't know about this guy. 'Cause he's from so long ago. It's like you gotta know about Biggie to know about Kid Capri. It's like you got to know the song Juicy, you know. Heavy D Kid Capri up in the limousine, you know? That's I, I don't get starstruck when I meet actors. I'm just like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> when I meet the rappers that I grew up listening to, cause I, I was jamming when I was a kid. Like I got I was my the first hip hop CD I ever had was the Wu Tang 36 Chambers. And, uh, and the first member of Wu Tang who I ever worked with was Ray the Chef, and uh, I was I was doing a GQ shoot, and uh, he came in and it was cool because like talk about an unprofessional crew, this crew kind of bum rushed him to like try and get selfies with him as he came in, and I'm looking at these people like they're nuts. I'm just like like really like really they gotta do they gotta put up with this at work too. So I'm just standing there. I got my wireless in my hand. I'm over at my bag. And it was funny, His chef, the chef kind of just pushed through everyone, and he saw me holding the wireless in my audio bag, and he came right over to me. And he's like, he's like, you sound man. I'm like, yup. He's like, he's like, All right. and I'm like, wiring him up. I'm like, I'm like, yo, chef. Oh, he's like, what's up? I'm like, I'm like, yo. The wu 36 Chambers was the first hip-hop CD I ever had. I traded the ACDC back in black for it. He just starts cracking up. He's like, yo, you want some flicks, bro? I'm like, yeah, it's really funny. The production manager standing right there. He's like, like, give your phone to her. (laughs) And so, so it's just like I had my phone to Jen. And he was just like, yeah, take some flicks of us. And we just like, we did like, we just like did like five quick photos. It was real cool. It was real cool. I'm like, oh man, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, it was cool. That was a really great experience.
0: Well, that's when uh, I was in the, up in New York in the 90s. And that's when I was in the studio. And that's what we did. We, uh, cool. I'm trying to think, we worked with Heavy D and the Boys. Got some credits on his Nothing But Love album. Biggie, Biggie Smalls was there. And I didn't have any idea who he was at the time.
1: Wow, you met
0: Biggie. But yeah, some of that stuff was crazy. He'd come to the studio. We'd set up for a 6 p.m. start and he'd show up at 9 and he'd work for an hour and then he'd leave and he'd say, okay, I'll be back. So we're all like sitting around waiting for him to get back. And then like at 2 a.m. he would call and say, okay, I'm not coming back. (laughs) So, you know, we were on the clock all that time, but it was an interesting, it was an interesting day. That was back when uh, uh, the beat nuts were real big and We used to work with the Beat Nuts a lot, and uh, so it was good times. So uh, for Hip Hop Evolution, was it just primarily, like you said, doing sit-down interviews, or did you do any uh, on-location, running around stuff?
1: Uh, Sit-down interviews mostly, not too much running around. And honestly, I haven't even started watching the show yet. I I will get around to it. I can't work on the show anymore because it's non-union, but I I had a lot of fun working on it because every time they came to New York, they called me. Uh, that was a good client and it was a good topic, you know, sometimes, sometimes you'll have clients that are really cool and they'll call you back, especially when you're into the same things. Um, and I kind of just fell in, I think I fell into that off a Facebook group called NYTV peoples (laughs) and it became like a two year long client. It was really cool.
0: Well, now you have another project you've worked on. It's called reservation nation. So tell us about that.
1: That's my documentary. Uh, I'm independently producing, directing, shooting, and mixing. I'm doing everything. I so I go out there and I have my audio bag on. And I have a camera rig and I've got a. I use my my two hundred and ten D with my HM and I have a, a shotgun mic mounted up on top of four sixteen usually because I go into some some pretty uh, rough areas where the terrain is rough or there can be like conflict and things like that. And the 416 is kind of bulletproof. So it's like literally could get shot with a bullet and it'll be fine. So so Reservation Nation, what I'm doing is I'm basically researching and I'm documenting all my research and I'm learning firsthand the effects of colonization, the affects of colonization Against indigenous people of North America throughout history and the current challenges Indian people face to colonization and in the oppression, I've found a revitalization, which is really cool it's a it's a real heavy topic it's a really heavy topic
0: now you're you're going out there in the field and putting yourself in some dangerous situations right
1: uh s- sometimes it's dangerous not it's when I was at Standing Rock, there were times when I was at Standing Rock where there was direct action. It was dangerous. I was shot three times uh, in one night, uh, all in a row. One, two, three. They waited for for me to take a rest with my camera. Uh, they were. It was the National Guard, the State Police, the County Police, and local police, and uh, this uh, private security agency called Tiger Swan. And they're like supposed to be like. The new Blackwater or something like that. But it was pretty wild. And, uh, like, these Tiger Swan people, they'd be, like, standing next to these National Guard people. And the National Guard people and the TigerSwan people and a good amount of the police force all kept their faces covered. So And they all kept their badges covered so you never knew who was who and you could never identify anyone. Uh, but it is did some pretty heinous things at Standing Rock. But Standing Rock is just, like, a really... It's a very small piece of the documentary just another day on the reservation
0: really man now when you say you got shot what happened
1: when you go into these conflict zones where there's like standing rock wasn't a protest and a lot of people get that misconstrued that it was a protest it wasn't a protest it was a fight for sovereignty treaties are ratified by congress which makes it the supreme law of the land and treaties are countlessly violated because the Constitution is a doctrine of commerce and it seeks to serve corporations and not individuals. And that's a big piece I'm focusing on in Reservation Nation because there's a lot of eminent domain going on. Uh, There's a lot of land swaps, things facilitated by the government through what's called the National Defense Authorization Act, which is domestic military spending. And they use this excuse to mine the uranium and mine the copper and to mine the oil and the gold and the lithium uh, from reservation land and disputed territories off reservations. It's messed up. It's messed up is
0: what it is. Okay. Now, when you got shot, it was, what, rubber bullets or what?
1: Yeah, they were rubber slugs. I was shot by these big blue rubber slugs. They're probably... About three inches in diameter and they're probably about two and a half inches long had a vest on kind of bulletproof vest on uh and they hit me right in my chest as soon as I I put my camera down to take a rest it was just pop 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 uh three of them hit me and I think I think two other people got hit and then you could hear rubber bullets bouncing off our 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 shields so uh, whenever I would go to the front line there would be someone with a shield Uh, shielding me Uh, because if you're a medic or if you're media, you're a target and they will literally try to shoot you in the head they'll shoot your cameras the medics, they'll aim for the medic patch or they'll aim for their face and the whole time, well while North Dakota makes it illegal for protesters to to cover their faces in protest, why is it legal for these police to cover their face in the protest? And they're out here shooting us in the face when literally we've done nothing to them. We're just standing in a row. I guess you could call that dangerous. I don't think it was dangerous. I didn't feel scared at all during it. I was just I was I was just doing my my civil duty as as a citizen, making sure that I recorded them doing these things, and I did. And that's where it started at. And then as I learned, as, police brutality is nothing new to me. I'm a victim of police brutality. I've had a lawsuit against a police department. I've had a lawsuit against a city. I, I'm a vic- I know about police brutality. And being on the reservation, that night that I was shot earlier in the evening, there was a native woman, a Lakota woman from the Pine Ridge Reservation. She was on a megaphone she yells out, she's like, she's like, no more man camps. I'm like, what the hell is a man camp? She's like, uh, she's like, no more missing and murdered indigenous women. And I'm just like, what does that even mean? And uh, about a month before that, my first time at Standing Rock, when I went with the veterans, I I was invited by a Navajo family down to the Navajo reservation. They're like, you think they got a bat up here on the prairie? They're like, we were relocated to Iraq. I'm like, relocated to Iraq. I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, come, come to our home, come to our home. I literally, I went back to New York city, did one day on a Jupiter job. uh, Then I did two days on a commercial. But that following weekend I was on a plane out to Arizona and i landed in phoenix and then i took another plane to albuquerque and then i took a bus from albuquerque in the middle of the night out to gallup new mexico where i got off at a rest stop and uh, i waited probably 3 hours for my ride to come and uh, my ride comes from the reservation and uh, we get in the car we're driving we go to the gallup we go to the gallup new mexico walmart and then, uh, and then we go back onto the reservation. We're probably about an hour into the drive, and we get flat tire. It was, it was awesome. <laughs> it was great. And then we had to wait. We had to wait a few more hours for somebody to come uh, with a spare tire. It was, it was great. It was fun. And then, uh, and then I got out to the rack where the family was relocated to, and they're like, they're like, uh, yeah. So when you take a shower, you'll have to go to the chapter house. I'm like, uh, okay, why is that? They're like, yeah, we don't have water. I'm like, what? They're like, yeah, we don't have electricity either. I'm like, what? They're like, yeah, 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 they have it over on the other side of the partition land, but we don't have it on this side of the partition land. I'm like, partition the land? I'm like, what does that even mean? She's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So we were relocated over here because, uh, the Peabody Mining Corporation wanted the black coal. So, uh, they redrew the reservation of the Hopi tribe and the Navajo tribe. So where our ancestors have been for the last 30, 40, 50, thousand years, uh, they dug it all up and they moved us out of there and they put us here on a rock without any, uh, water or electricity. So uh, those are effects of colonization.
0: Man, that sounds pretty intense. Well, uh, let's, let's lighten it up just a little bit and let's, uh, let's talk about how you got into location sound.
1: I used to rap. I moved to New York to be a rapper and I went to the Institute of audio research, uh, and I went into artist development, uh, through a big record company. Um, but uh, I didn't follow through with things, so I, I ended up screwing everything up that, that was happening for me. Uh, but when I was 15, being the rapper that I was and, like, hanging out on the streets of Ithaca, uh, I, would, um, I got involved with an internship program for At Reach Youth. And uh, the internship was at a local recording studio called Rep Studio in Ithaca. And the owner of the studio, Tim Repper, respected Tim, uh, cause he kind of like saved my life. Uh, Tim is old school. He used to be, he is, he's a master, he's a composer and master engineer at Soundtrack Boston. And he worked at Soundtrack New York for, for years and years and years. He was Whitney Houston's, uh, tracking engineer, run DMC, cool G rap, cool in the gang, beastie boys, you know, everyone who recorded at Soundtrack, like Soundtrack in the eighties was like this guy and then uh, Ithaca was his hometown. So he, and there's like a big music scene in Ithaca, like underground and bluegrass and different kinds of music, all kinds of music comes through Ithaca. So there are a few recording studios and I was, I was fortunate enough to, to be able to have an internship there and that opened me up to recording. And then I went to school for audio engineering at the Institute of Audio Research and then I kind of just BS my way around for a couple years afterwards. And then really around like 2011, uh, I lied my way onto a film set. Things I was doing wasn't working out and I was going broke. And I was like, okay, I need, need to find a, a different hustle. I was like production sound. All right, time to utilize my degree. So I lied my way onto a set and I watched Vimeo tutorials the night before. And then I went on to the job the next day. I was like, hold for sound, hold for sound, you know, acting like I've been doing it for years and years. And I just, just taught myself and I would work with some people here and there coming up. But it, yeah, that's cool. It all started at that studio.
0: You know, we always like to be prepared when we get on set, but did you ever forget any of your essential audio equipment?
1: Oh gosh. There's been times where I forgot my antennas. Uh, but other than antennas, I've I've never forgot anything. I'm very diligent in what I do. Uh, th- I've, I've sometimes I've forgotten like a time code cable or something like that. Or they told me they're shooting on one camera, then all of a sudden they switch cameras, and I'm ready to 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 put a locket box on with a with a, a five pin limo to an Alexa. But that for some reason they switched it to a red, and I don't have the four pin with me. I have the four pin. It's just. You know, I don't bring things to work that I don't need to bring. Uh if it's something simple like that, you know, like a commercial or something. But yeah, there's been times where I've forgotten my antennas. Other than that, I've always been ready for work.
0: All right. Well, uh, what's been your worst onset experience?
1: The movie that I was on that organized uh they tried the Union Busters and I've been in some sticky situations before, but it was just the amount of disregard, disrespect, and they really tried to do us dirty on that job. But in the end, you know, when when workers unite, things can happen.
0: Well, what kind of situations were going on that made you guys organize?
1: We started logging things from day one. The first thing that got to me, was not having professional drivers move our gear in box trucks in upstate New York in the winter on icy roads. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I rode, I didn't ride in the vans every day. I rode in the camera truck because audio and camera shared a truck and I would ride with the truck driver every day just to keep an eye on my investment. Cause I'm literally, I'm showing up with like $70,000 that I've paid for, that's paid off, that's mine, that I own. And whether or not it's covered under insurance, which it is, and their insurance, so they would have to pay anything. I I take a lot of pride in the things that I don't have a lot of things. And the things that I do have, like my audio equipment, I take really good care of it. And so I have to protect my investment and I have to keep my eyes on it. So that was the first thing. And And then uh, from day one, we had flaggers on the side of the highway, not flagging. And we have electricians pushing 4K lamps down the sides of streets on open roads with these flaggers hanging around smoking cigarettes. And my boom op and I literally took their flags from them And we started flagging the traffic Because these guys were fools It's like getting me heated right now thinking about it But a a big time A-lister actor He put on the performance of his life But we weren't the audience for him to put that performance on to. You know, this producer had the nerve to say You all knew what you were signing up for This is a low budget indie film things happen and people get hurt like dude what are you talking about things happen and people get hurt and when the union came the union knew who he was he knew who the union was he'd gone through this before and they tried to bust us up they were trying they're like we want to know who's going to who's signing for because uh one of the people on the crew in the camera department was friends with the production manager and he wasn't a pro just like He was our DIT person and he wasn't a pro. He was just the production manager's friend and she hired him. And he, he got the call from local 600 and he told her and she told all the production people. So they were ready for it. And, uh, and I was already the shop steward. So I was labeled. I was like, I was like labeled from right, from right then. And it was wild. They tried to bust us. They tried to union bust us. They're like, we want to know who's signing up for representation right now because we're going to shut this down because we're hemorrhaging money. First of all, first of all, you can't do that. That's against the law. You cannot shut down your corporation because we're going to unionize. You have to wait till we unionize to lock us out. You have to wait till we unionize before you shut down can't shut down before we unionize. We have to wait till we strike. It's the law.
0: Now, you said uh, there was an explosion one day.
1: The camera department gave me two VCLX batteries. Uh, before then, it's just like I talked to production. I'm like, we need to talk about my power situation. I'm like, if you're not going to give me X amount of days and expendables, then you have to supply my power for the car. We're like, all right, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll make sure you can plug into the. door. Like, we have a Jenny truck, and we'll make sure that there's always a line ran out to you. Like, all right, every day I'm begging for this line, begging for this line. And then I have one of those uh, U UBS battery backup systems that lasts like a half an hour if we get an outage. You know, th- this is my first big job with the cart, and uh, you know, I just I don't have a in yet, things like that. And so I was doing what I could with the budget that they gave me. And it was very rainy that day. that The explosion happened and it was very windy. And one of the sides of the tents comes flying off. Shit starts getting wet. We get it covered up. We get it dried out. I go to the producer, I've talked to him and I said, you can't be letting them make up these shots where I have to move this tent three times, four times. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I got $70,000 worth of shit here. That's mine. I'm like, And I know you don't want to pay for that. I'm like, I'm sick of moving this shit around. So I'm going to set it here and I'm not going to move it again. I don't care what their shot is. I'm not moving the tent again. And then Danny's like, all right, all right, cool. I'll talk to them. He's like, we'll make sure that we don't shoot to this corner. Like, all right. And then, uh, you know, just that, just that same BS that you get from those BS underachieving producers. And, uh and they're just like, yeah, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Oh, we're going to shoot this way. You need to move the tent again. Darn it. And I'm just like, all right, all right whatever. I'll, I'll nudge it back two feet. And, uh, and then water comes in on the UBS system. And the UBS system literally, like, there was like a, and then like it lit up on fire. And it's like, and it's like in the bottom rack of my cart. And so it's like everything above it can be burnt now. And so it's like I literally, I literally kicked it. I didn't have it bracketed in. I had it, I had it mounted with velcros and shit. So I literally kicked it off the cart a, and the production manager was under the tent with me when that happened. I looked at it and I said, I said, take care of this now. And the production manager, is like, it's like we, we were going to flip it already, but we didn't want to. She was nice, and I and I, wanted, I didn't want to be mean to her, so I was just like, you know, take care of this. I understand that, like, this is out of your hands and that you're just, you're crude, just like we are on this now. Ah. And they didn't let her do her job or anything either. It was, it was just wild. It was wild. This, this A-lister actor hired this career, low-budget indie film producer to make a movie off $750,000 that really cost $2 million to make. I'm like, yo, look, I'm like, my whole system almost blew up, this and that. And they're like, oh, da-da-da-da-da-da, you're covered under production insurance. These things happen. It's like, no, 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 these things don't happen. These things happen when people like you do this, do this stupid stuff, you know? It's like it's like, what kind of movie is going to shoot without a shot list? Literally, a 96-page script and you don't have a shot list? And then when they tried to the bust us, like we don't have the money, we're gonna shut down. Da, da 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 da. And then when when we had to organize, and I was and I was organizing with the union, they're like, if these things happen. Uh, all these safety violations happen and it's unfortunate sometimes but like these sometimes you get these people who are in over their head and they just try to cut corners every way they can and they put your workers safety is a danger and this and that they're like it's not cool that you had a fire at your sound cart. like it's not cool that that you guys are shooting on open highways without professional flaggers and the drivers are smoking weed while they're driving you around and like all these other kinds of things all this kind of all this crap uh the d p was grabbing the camera he was a, he was a union guy he knew he he knows he's not allowed to touch the camera he knows he's not allowed to touch the camera there's a camera out there and just like breaking all kinds of rules and stuff and just like little things that like don't even bug people and stuff that you don't think much of but when there's all these little things happening it's just you think about you think about your standard of work and it's, it's kind of just like. Do you have low standards for yourself or do you hold yourself to a higher standard? It's an unfortunate thing for some people, but it's, you know, for other people, it, it opens up doors.
0: Well, man, um, if, if some of our listeners were interested in getting started in location sound, what kind of tips could you give them?
1: Don't take it personal. Uh, really, that's, that's what it is. Uh, just Just go to work and do your job and put on a smile.
0: Well, Nick, it's been good talking with you today. So as we kind of wrap things up, how can people connect with you online?
1: People can get a hold of me through my website, www.nickdoe.media. And I'm on Instagram at Nick Doe, KDO.
0: All right. Well, cool. Well, I want to say thanks to Nick Doe for being on the show today.
1: Great. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
0: And a big thanks to all of our listeners out there. If you'd like us to discuss a particular topic, please send us an email at locationsoundpodcast at gmail.com. We would love for you to subscribe and leave us a comment. We're available on Apple Podcasts, and for Android users, check out Google Podcasts. Also, we're on Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, and on your favorite podcast app. Until next time, remember, sound is half the picture.